PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, we do suggest that you review the content beforehand. As always, I'm Abby. And I'm Kenzie. And with that, let's talk about stuff. It's just the two of us this week. (laughs) You get the Abby and Kenzie show. Emily might pop in a little bit later, but... Yeah, she might record quickly, but you know, not that you've already not heard about how crazy our lives are, um, (laughs) but they, spoiler alert, are still crazy. So... Uh, Emily might pop in to do her beluga news because I don't think she trusts us to do it. Well, no one can quite do it justice like she does. That's that's Emily's territory right there. <laughs> no, and I have zero idea how she finds all of these beluga articles, to be completely honest with you. Right, so I'm impressed. I'll stick in my corner, um, and Ken's going to stick in her corner, and Katie will join us next time. So we're going to hop right into it. Uh, Kenzie's got some PSA for us. Yep, we got a PSA. So, uh... I, it's not fun to talk about. No, it's 2023 and we're still dealing with this. So we just wanted to take a moment and say that with the recent spate of anti-LGBTQ legislation on the rise in many, many states, uh, looking at you, Tennessee, with your anti-drag laws, like what is that? Um, we would just like to take the time to reiterate that we here at the Conservation Queens podcast stand with and support the LGBTQ plus community. Hate has no home here. And just as the rest of the animal kingdom comes in all shapes and colors and forms, so do we as humans. And diversity is beautiful and it's even been shown to be very healthy for ecosystems, make us more resilient. So why can't our communities be as beautiful and colorful and diversified as the animal kingdom? So yeah. Like, let people live. As long as they're not hurting anyone, let people live. And honestly, I think drag is kind of a really cool art form. I agree. I'm a huge fan, um, especially of RuPaul's Drag Race. I have binged that many times. (laughs) Um, Pretty much every season. It's fun. I am very caught up. It's great. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, like, another big thing to drive home is, like, even if you personally don't agree with it, you do not have to go. No one is requiring you to go. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand that, like, no, nah, just be a decent, be a decent human being, guys. Be kind. Don't be a jerk. Uh, anyway, speaking of policy, though, we got a couple things to talk about when it comes oh, to drama conservation. It's going downhill. Still, so just spiraling. It's going down. I'm yelling, there was a train derailment in East Palestine, and now it's one of the biggest environmental disasters in U.S. history. And nobody's talking about it. Yeah, until very recently, it was very much kind of on the low, um, and it really wasn't until social media really picked up the fire, and it finally was brought to, again, the national media's attention. People are like, oh, this is a serious thing. Like, thank God for social media. I, I have a lot of problems with social media. Same. But like <laughs> once in a while, it's like the like Flint, Michigan, and this. You're like, thank goodness somebody is like, hi, shutting this is happening. Yeah. <laughs> oh my 
gosh. Okay, go off, Kenzie. Okay, so just to catch everyone up to speed, uh, you guys have probably already heard it, seen it on the news. Uh, there was a big train, train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio. Uh, but what is making this so concerning is what was on board the train and what spilled over. So on February 3rd, just before 9 p.m., a train from Norfolk, Norfolk, <laughs> Norfolk Southern uh, derailed in the town of East Palestine, Ohio. And of the 150 rail cars that were present, most contained materials such as steel, cement, uh, and even frozen vegetables, according to the train manifest. But 20 to, I think it's 22 of those cars carried something else, and that is vinyl chloride. So many of you are probably going, okay, what is vinyl chloride? I'm not- Bad news. <laughs> so uh, vinyl chloride, it is a man-made chemical compound, so it's not naturally occurring. Um, and it's typically used by industry to help create things like PVC or polyvinyl chloride, which is used in plastic resins. So um, if you guys have ever used PVC pipes, I know we use them a lot in the greenhouse I used to work in back in the day. Um, these are fairly commonplace and non-dangerous items. They but, make fun instruments. Yeah, they do make fun instruments and apparently can also be used to make um, instruments in the healthcare field as well. Well, and lots of um, enrichment at zoos and aquariums that we were talking yeah. about. Like yeah. everything's a reused PVC pipe. Yes, so, so <laughs> PVC pipes. <laughs> um, but so PVC pipes, PVC in and of itself is fine. It's the vinyl chloride by itself. That's where you have a different story. So um, it's usually a colorless gas and it burns very, very quickly. It's highly, highly flammable when it's in its gaseous form. And according to the National Cancer Institute, uh, the substance has actually been linked to forms of liver, lung, and brain cancer, as well as lymphoma and leukemia. So if you are exposed to this, you do run that risk. Um, and this is a big concern for the residents of East Palestine, Ohio, who have been saying since the crash, uh, they have been reporting symptoms like headaches, nosebleeds, irritated eyes, nose and throat. And a lot of them are really concerned about what are going to be the long-term health effects on them and also on the environment because some of the vinyl chloride got into um, some of the water systems there and it's resulted in a lot of aquatic die-off. The EPA is telling people with private well waters to just drink bottled water to not use the water in their wells. But the EPA did do a survey of the water system in the town itself that's used by the municipal source and they say it's safe and they say the air quality is safe but residents obviously are still not so sure and uh, i can't blame them for that um speaking of blame a lot of people are like okay how did this happen there's one of the big things that people have brought up is that during the trump administration there were a lot of rollbacks on safety regulations for trains specifically uh, when carrying substances like this and warning systems. So they believe that because of some of these protections that were rolled back in the laxing of these regulations, um, this could have been a big contributing factor to the... Uh... Yeah, so folks are, are worried, they're concerned. And I know for me, I started seeing it pop up on my Instagram feed because I follow a lot of conservation organizations, shocker. Um, and I also follow this woman, her name is, or her Instagram handle is Juniper Fox, and she runs um, a private wildlife rescue. And I guess a friend of her who is literally a mile from the crash site also does the same. 
and uh, they were talking about how they were having to put down and euthanize their animals because they started getting really, really sick. And it, because it, what other choice do you have? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's a big concern um, in a lot of area around East Palestine, Ohio. A lot of people there are also concerned about you know their safe and their safety and their health and. This is why we have policies like the Clean Water and Clean Air Act, because if we are not, if we do not have access to clean and healthy resources, things that we, we cannot be clean and healthy, we cannot be clean and healthy. And we kind of need that. <laughs> it's I, I like being clean and healthy. Yeah, I like to be clean and healthy as well. So that's that's the big, big news that's going on right now and hopefully give you guys a little bit more insight. Um, NPR and PBS and AP News are really good uh, resources. AP News especially is very good at just reporting the facts as well as rigors. So if you guys want to do some more research on your own, read more articles, I uh, highly suggest those news sources. For There's you. also that lady on Instagram that does a really good job of non-partisan news. Uh, what is she the, or are they the ones from Under the Desk News? No. They're yeah. great. I love them very much. Love under the desk. Love under the news. Banana shirt. Good news is my favorite. But yeah. no, it's a different lady. I think Sharon says so on Instagram. She's a oh. former history teacher. So she does a lot of like fact reporting and then mm -hmm. makes it really clear when there are opinions versus facts, which is she's great to follow. Oh, Sharon says so, I think is what it's called. All right. I'm going to have to check that out. All right. Anyways, Instagram recommendations brought to you by. <laughs> Oh, yeah, here it is. She says, I'm a former government, high school government and law teacher on a mission to combat political misinformation by sharing nonpartisan facts about the U.S. government and democracy. There you go. Love it. We love it. It's important to stay informed on the facts knows, on the facts knows, on the facts, folks. And you can have your own opinion, but like, also, please look at the facts. <laughs> please, because if we're being honest neither party's doing a good job of being 100 percent correct so please look at the facts and like figure it out <laughs> okay well um i have some good news i would love to hear it show. all right so uh maybe you guys have heard this maybe you haven't but the united nations actually just reached a historic treaty on protecting our oceans so after decades of talk close to about 30 years they think um, and a 36-hour round of negotiations that just ended earlier this week, uh, the UN officially agreed upon a legal framework on how to address the exploitation of resources and to help better protect marine life. Yay! Yeah! So good! We love it. I believe it's called the High Seas Treaty. So right now it's currently... Um, in the refining process and being translated into the six official languages for the United Nations. And there's a interview from PBS with John Yang, uh, who was talking with one of the negotiators there or one of the observers there, if you guys wanna give that a listen. But this is a really big step forward because currently only 1.2% of the ocean is under protection. And that's, when, that's crazy. It's very, very small. That's crazy. Especially when you consider that our planet, uh, we are literally two thirds ocean and 95, yeah, I want to say 95% of all biomass of all living things and materials are located in the ocean. Not to mention what relies in the ocean, which is absolutely everything else. Mm -hmm. So like, 
literally everything and literally literally awesome. literally everything and you know not only do we rely on the ocean for so many things and this is i'm currently a marine science teacher right now um and i keep stressing to my my students the youths how important the ocean is so the youths the youths <laughs> so the ocean provides us with oxygen due to the respiration of these tiny microorganisms like diatoms and dinoflagellates. They actually can produce anywhere from 70 to 80% of the world's oxygen supply, depending on the season. Um, it provides us with food. We have found potential cures and uh, clues into cracking the codes of diseases like cancer and Alzheimer's and dementia, and even just to prolonging our, our life in a healthy manner. And you know, we can't lose our oceans because if we lose our oceans, not only do we risk, again, our health and safety, but we also lose, I think, something that's very integral as a human being, right? Because so many cultures and so many stories revolve or are touched by some way or another by the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just, it's, a, it's an, a, an actual step forward, which is something that none of us have been seeing for a while. So it just, it feels good to have a positive direction forward. Yeah. So the UN, uh, its goal right now um, is to hopefully protect 30% of our oceans or designate 30% of our oceans as protected areas by the year 2030, which is actually coming up very fast. And I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> I, let's we'll skip and move on. <laughs> okay. And just one last quick one. Um, it's not as policy, but it does touch a lot on policy. A recent article was published. It's one of its main authors is this young man, or I guess young-ish man. His name is Alexander Pukowski. He's a uh, biologist and conservationist. He does a lot of work with big cats, especially with lions in Eastern Southern Africa. Wonderful human. He seems fantastic. Uh, but he and a couple of his other co-authors, they published a study looking at the disparities of predator protections and how predators can affect people very, very differently, depending on where they are in the globe. Um, so essentially, oh, yes, Abby. It's just, it's fascinating. Yeah. How has, how has no one done this yet? <laughs> I don't know, because it seems like a no-brainer to us, but they actually went in and uh quantified it quantified it yes so so the recent article talks about the effects of predation on families really in developing nations so predation events in places like tanzania uganda and india um, can sometimes leave families devoid of a year's worth of income so whereas here in the u.s if say a rancher in utah or idaho loses a steer or two which you know it's not great they are not going to lose their whole year's worth of income. No, right? it's it's a it's the scale is the scale is different. Yeah, and so the quote um, I pulled here says, "Our results also show more than half of large carnivores have at least a third of their range overlapping areas where people live under severe economic burden." We describe a severe economic burden area as where one calf loss would erase over 25% of a family's annual income. Eight oh of these carnivores, including lions and cheetahs, are considered globally threatened. And the article goes on to talk about, you know, it's important, obviously, to protect these, these predators, right? They are integral into the natural ecosystem, but we also have to keep in mind when we are doing conservation that 
in order to have successful conservation, you have to support the communities in a way that is sustainable. And I think at the end, the authors really rounded out by saying, you know, it's not necessarily fair that a lot of folks who want to protect these predators are making or wanting to make these decisions from halfway across the globe. When no, that is, yeah. that is the number one problem in conservation. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Is that it's like how would how would we feel if people? Let's just say, as an example, from England, since that seems to be who America has a big beef with. <laughs> or how about this? People from China, people from China come over to the U.S. and say, "Hi." you're doing everything wrong to protect this species. Here's how you need to change it. Do you think that people are just going to be like, oh, sure. No. Because yeah. it's like, you don't know our way of life over here. You don't understand how, like, this affects this and this. And this. Mm -hmm. So why, what, why would we assume that that would be this, not the same? Like, yeah, you work with local people, or it's not going to work. Yeah, well, no one likes it when someone all of a sudden pops up and tells you, "Hey, you need to start doing this." Especially when you don't take the time to get to know these people and understand their needs. And I how, mean, us with yeah. the mansplainers at work, <laughs> right? Or have or have like an actual sustainable solution um, to to the problem that that's able to benefit you and, and give you stability and security. So, I thought that was a really great article. Um, if you guys want, we can go ahead and drop a link to it later in our Instagram posts if you would like yeah. to take a look. But yeah, it's yeah, I thought it was a really cool article and definitely worth the read. Um, and I think it's something that a lot of folks in conservation, it's it's becoming more and more prevalent, but it's definitely something that needs to be um, at the forefront when we are designing these conservation plans. Yes, for sure. And a lot of people have been saying it for years, and it's just now that people are like... It's because it's becoming it's taking more note and it's becoming more of a thing. Yeah, which is awesome. Okay. Well, anyways, um, I've talked for long enough. Abby, what you got for us today? We got so much zoo news. Oh my god, I'm looking at the show right <laughs> now. I'm gonna now. I'm gonna try to kind of zoom through the ones that like maybe aren't as like major. Mm -hmm. Um, but we can't not talk about an update with the Dallas Zoo. Yes, I wanna hear the tea. Oh my gosh. I read that I this is crazy to me. <laughs> So, last month we talked about how the Dallas Zoo kept getting broken into and, like, people were, like, stealing animals and, like, animals were escaping, a vulture died, all kinds of stuff. Go listen to last month's newses. But this um, month we have a resolution. Ooh. So, on February 2nd, which was a few days after we recorded the initial news episode, it was, like, the day after, I think, mm -hmm. um, Davian Irwin was arrested for the monkey theft of the two tamar monkeys near the Dallas Aquarium, where he was asking about the animals and their movements. And the only reason he got arrested is an employee recognized him from the news coverage and called it in saying, this guy's being weird about our animals too. Hey, see something, say something. Something, say something. But also I'm like, that's so scary. Right? Because <laughs> you're like, don't come in here and steal my octopus, sir. <laughs> Please. Um, he also admitted that he did, was the one um, who broke into the clouded leopard habitat um, when Nova escaped. And he said he was only able to pet her before she got on the top of the enclosure. Jesus. He was also the one who broke into the Langer habitat. But the Langers, as we said before, territorial, they were like, I'm not leaving this place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what it comes down to is 
I, I've got like mixed feelings. So number one, guys in jail absolutely should be there. He's got, I think, $25,000 bail, um, which is hefty, but he also was charged on accounts of six accounts of animal abuse, mm-hmm. three for each monkey. Mm-hmm. Um, and they haven't connected him to the vulture habitat yet, so we don't know if that's connected or not for sure. Um, but to me, this man sounds like he might be incredibly mentally ill. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, he, what he said was, if he ever gets out of jail, he would do it again because he just loves animals. Buddy. Yeah. So it's one of those things where you're like, are you just being exposed to the wrong type of media? So things like, you know, like Joe Exotic-esque mm-hmm. stuff that it's like, oh, it's okay to do this. Cause I don't think it's a PETA situation because no. he wasn't saying like, free the animals he was like he was keeping them in a house with a bunch of other wild he wanted towns yeah it was like pigeons and rabbits and cats and stuff so he he needs some help and i sincerely dearly dearly hope that they are able to get him the help that he needs because there there's something else going on there that's a lot of that's a lot of work to go and pet a clouded leopard to like break into a zoo and yes. cut the bolts and trapeze in just for a pet. That's yeah, he, he hopped the fence. It said he hopped the fence and just got in. Oh, it's, but, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, that's rough. Well, um, I'm I'm glad they they found who it was. Yes, before uh, you could do anything else. Yeah, sure. I'm I'm sure that's that's a weight off all the keepers' shoulders and. Yeah. I'm curious to see what comes of the um, result with the with the vulture. Me too. And I'm also curious to see what happens with him. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything about a trial or anything yet. So I'll just yeah. keep um, a Google alert on. So if something happens, then Ooh. we know about it. And I'm sure Dallas Zoo and other social media sites will share it. Yeah. Um, so we can figure it out as well. But glad they caught him. Hopefully he can get the help that he needs. Um, and hopefully this is all over for the Dallas Zoo because they don't need anything more to happen. They're, they're good. They had their year's worth of problems. <laughs> I'd say so. so in a span of three months. Yeah, no kidding. One month. It was one month. One no. Month. Oh, God. Crazy. <laughs> all right. All right. Uh, you know the new movie, Cocaine Bear? Okay, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about it. Uh, how about Cocaine Serval? I'm sorry, what? What would you rather deal with, Kenzie? Cocaine Bear or Cocaine Serval? Um... I don't know, because I feel like servals are kind of squirrely. That's what I think, too. I'd, I'd rather do the cocaine bear. But there was a cocaine serval. Um, so a serval was found by Cincinnati police officers when they were making a different arrest. And they're like, why is there a leopard in that tree? Which we're going to forgive them for the misidentification. Because to be fair, I'd also be like, why is there a leopard in that tree? A giant spotted golden golden cat. You're going to Yeah, it's like, this is wrong. <laughs> So the serval was removed by the city's pest management, uh, apparently with much difficulty, which in the aftermath, we're like, well, that's why. Um, So an exotic cat expert was called in and the behavior of the cat was so wild. The expert said that they would rather deal with a tiger. (laughs) For a cat expert to say that, I'm like, you don't know. I want to know what happened in that room. Um, did a toxicology report that the serval's still alive, by the way, so it's okay. not dead, but they still did a tox report. Mm-hmm. Um, and it showed that there was cocaine in the serval system. Oh my god, they're not sure if it was a naturally occurring thing or if 
it was an animal that was drugged. Mm-hmm. So basically, did it find it or was it given it? Yeah, they don't know. Really watch cocaine bears. Like, I wonder what would happen if I gave this serval cocaine. I really hope. Do it's not, not give drugs. Do not give drugs to animals. The only people who should be administering drugs to animals are certain veterinarians. <laughs> Nobody else. I, I'm looking at my cat as I say this. Magnolia, don't do drugs. That's not that. That was prescribed by a veterinarian. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any vet's gonna be like, please give cocaine to your cat. No, don't do that. Like, I don't even like giving catnip to my cats because they go crazy. Right. Anyway, Serval is now at the Cincinnati Zoo, where the team there is caring for it. They're evaluating it on. Um, <laughs> they're evaluating it to see if it can be an ambassador animal. Like. Like, it's kind of sad, especially if it's you know. given the cocaine, but it's awesome. But now I'm like, I do I want to go meet the cocaine server? <laughs> do an Instagram live with the conservation queens. I mean, obviously, they're not going to just do it. They're going to, I trust the Cincinnati Zoo. They had Fiona the Hippo. They can yes, do it. Yes, they can deal with this. They, yeah. they got it figured out over there, but I'm just like, goodness, what? is this country so mm-hmm. all right I'm, I'm sad so news wow. big week for ohio big week for ohio sad news oh. um lele the panda uh unfortunately passed away in february oh. at the memphis zoo um she was about 25 years old uh there were many concerns over the panda's health at the memphis zoo it's been going viral for a couple of months now since the um yaya the female panda Mm-hmm. passed away earlier this year mm-hmm. um people were looking at videos and saying that they looked skinny or didn't look correct but um memphis zoo has made many statements about their aza accreditation and their inspections and also the republic of china comes in and like looks at these pandas regularly mm-hmm. they have there it's very strict we've ranged about pandas before but like when it comes to welfare concerns i don't really have as many mm-hmm. just because I know what rigorous process you have to go through to have a panda. Yeah. Like it's not a little thing. Yeah. The, aren't they technically on loan from China? Like China. Yes. The pandas. Yeah. Yes. And Layla was actually only one month away from going back to China. Oh. Both of the pandas are going to be returned to China. And then when Yaya passed away, then they said, okay, well, they're just Layla's going to go back. And then he passed away like, I don't know if it was a month or a couple of weeks, but it was like coming up. Oh. So now there's lots of controversy about like, should the Memphis Zoo still have pandas? What should they be doing? Like lots of different things. I didn't read too much into it because I was already like upset about mm-hmm. Dallas Zoo stuff. Right. Um, but what I did read in the article is Layla's behavior was monitored every day. And it said that about a month before he passed, he had been sleeping more and slowing down and not eating as much. Mm-hmm. But that behavior is seasonally normal for giant pandas for this time of year. Right. So the zoo team didn't think much of it because it, it followed previous behavioral cycles they had tracked. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Um, they did a necropsy on Lele and it turns out he passed away from heart disease. So oh. Something that, um, if you don't, we know that a lot of our listeners love animals and work at zoos, but for those who don't know, animals are notoriously good at hiding when they feel sick. 
Yes. And it's because in the wild, it's a great defense mechanism because you don't want to be the one sick animal because that's going to be the one the predator goes after first, right? Mm-hmm. Like sharks and lions and cheetahs, everyone goes after the slow, weak one. They're not going to go after the, the big, strong one. So a lot of prey type animals or herbivore animals will do their darndest so that you don't know they're sick until they're like on their deathbeds. Yeah. Which is why you do so much monitoring of these animals. Um, but it turns out they, that was the, what the necropsy said. So unfortunate heart goes out to the Memphis zoo and, um, the people in China who are taking care of all of this kind of stuff. Cause it, it's not an easy thing to have an animal pass away. So. Oh, um, buddy. Yeah. Well, I, well, I hope they have, they take their time to grieve and move forward. So that's very unfortunate to hear. Yeah. yeah. And there's nothing wrong with doing more evaluations either because you'd rather yeah. be overcautious than undercautious. So Absolutely. If they realize that maybe that that there was a problem, I would hope that the Memphis Zoo would take the steps to then correct said problem. I think they would, but I, here's the hoping. Yeah. <laughs> well, I I think they would too. All right. Yeah. But I see you have some happier news for us. I have some happier news. Oh, let's us. do it. Tweens. So earlier um, in February, an Asian elephant had twins at oh. the Rosemont Gifford Zoo in Syracuse, New York. And if you don't know, that's a big deal. I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, because it is extremely rare for elephants to have two babies, much less two babies that then survive. Yeah. And these twins are thriving. So it's a crazy thing. Go on their Instagram and everything because they're, you know, Asian elephant babies, not the cutest elephant babies in the whole world, but they are super duper funny. Um, And they have lots of videos of them getting like bubble baths and trying other, like lots of enrichment. And it's very, very cute. So highly recommend looking at that. If you don't want to look at elephants, how about polar bears? Oh, we got more. Yeah, the polar bears, the polar bear twins were born at the Salido Zoo um, in January. So I think I might have talked about it last episode. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did a gender reveal a couple days ago, and they're both boys, two Aww. males. Uh, and it was very cute because the dad revealed the gender using enrichment items, the dad polar bear. Um, mm-hmm. And they thought that he was going to, like, knock this bin over so the two blue, like, boomer balls rolled out. And instead, he just picked up the whole thing and brought it into the aquarium where he was swimming with it. Oh. And then they, and so they had to wait for him to let it go so that the balls would float out because they were like, yeah, that's all we thought it was going to do. But it was really cute. And I just really appreciated it. So, <laughs> Okay. Um, I also just Googled images of the baby elephants. And, oh, my heart. I know. It's a oh, lot. <laughs> Oh, they're it's so fuzzy. Oh, I the love... little trunk. <laughs> I, I know. When they don't know how to use their trunks, it's the funniest thing in the entire world. Yes. Okay. Well, All right. Last got... one um, that I have for Zoo News. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, not to be outshone by the Dallas Zoo. <laughs> oh no. Flaco, who is an, a Eurasian eagle owl, escaped mm-hmm. from the Central Park Zoo after his encounter no. was vandalized. No. Uh, those culprits have yet to be identified. I think you can safely assume it's not the same dude because this is in Central Park and the other guy was in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so Flaco, the owl, instead of like having a lot of issues, um, he's actually 
escaped, evaded, like, recapture for a long time. So he's still <laughs> out there in the wild. Um, and apparently he is thriving in the environment of Central Park. Um, they have seen him um, living alongside local wildlife for the last month. Birders are going insane because there's a Eurasian eagle owl in Central Park, which is like, I don't know if that would count that as a lifer, but it sure is probably exciting. Um, and the zookeepers have gone out every single day and they've been tracking his pellets and turns out he's doing great. He's eating all kinds of rats and stuff and having a great time. Mm. Uh, people who are fans of Flaco have been arguing that he should remain in the wild because he seems to be doing really, really well and not having too many issues, mm. which is fine. However, <laughs> yeah, here's the but as I, I don't know if I'd call us experts, but we sure know more things than probably the general public on this kind of thing. Um, ecologists argue that Flaco, who is not a native species to New York, could pose many environmental threats, things like crossbreeding with great horned owls, which are close relatives, or hunting native bird species that maybe the other owls don't avoid. Because you originally go, owls are huge. Yeah. How big like, are they? They're oh gosh let me i have actually ebird pulled up right now don't ask questions why no that seems very on brand for you you know <laughs> all right let's see eurasian eagle owl do to do do i mean they are least concerned okay lol all the settings in new york are kind of funny <laughs> got it i got it, I got it. oh my gosh it's scientific name is boobo buo <laughs> that's way better than any other one um it. it is one of the largest species of owl this is according to wikipedia by the way mm -hmm. um the females can grow to a length of 75 centimeters which is 30 inches okay and so the wingspan is about six foot two inches Ooh. and males are slightly smaller so a little bit smaller than a wingspan of six point six foot two inches so wow they're big that's a chunker right there and oh my gosh what they weigh like 10 pounds that's big that's hefty for a bird yeah that's that is insane mackie that's how much you weigh I'm, I'm looking at my cat right now. She's so this this owl weighs as much as a as a cat. Yeah, like that is that's crazy. Um, that's uh, apparently it's in the bigger end, but still, like holy moly. So this, this is a, this not as a little guy, not a little guy. <laughs> Basically, what I'm getting to the point is that he could eat a lot of birds that maybe great horned owls could not because they are so much bigger than um. Or because Flaco is bigger than all of the little great horned owls, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why they are thinking it's an issue. Now, if Flaco had been a great horned owl, or if he had escaped in Europe in his native range, or in Asia in his native range, there would not be as much concern about recapture. Because right. it's like, you know what? They're thriving. They're native here. Whatever, right? Right. I mean, there probably still would be some effort, but not nearly as much. Mm-hmm. So that's why this is an issue is it could actually change the ecosystem. Probably not a ton, but it would not be zero either. Um, it also could be dangerous for Flaco because he can be exposed to things that he's never experienced before, like rat poison. He keeps eating rats. There's a rat problem in New York. Poison is an answer to that problem. If, 
it's everywhere. Yep. It's lucky he hasn't gotten a poison rat yet, or if he has, it hasn't affected him as much. Mm -hmm. um, and urban areas, being around all these really tall buildings, if he gets out of Central Park and goes somewhere else, it could turn into a huge issue. So zoo staff have been continuing to try to recapture Flaco and bring him back to the zoo. That was as of February 17th. I can't imagine they've stopped now. <laughs> but experts continue to argue that the best thing is to get Flaco back home at the zoo. And some people have even said things like, you know, is it better for him to have a short life and a life where he's living the way he chooses to live or a long protected life in captivity? Everyone has to decide what they think is a better determinant for the quality of life. That's a quote from um, bioethicist Lisa Moses, who lives at um, Harvard Medical School. But it's, it's tough, right? Mm -hmm. So it's it's one of those things that they're they're trying to it's and it's hard too right because it's one of those things that like I see the ecological problem zoos are great lives for owls but and then there's another guy um, Wisensall who's another ecologist who says the best thing for him long term even though it might not be as full or enriching of a life could be for him is to be back in captivity right. So it's, it's one of those tough moral things that when it comes to zoos, it can be really hard for even us who work in the fields to kind of figure out. Right. It's not a black and white field. So there's a lot more nuance to it. And I'll, I'll be honest, personally, if I were to ever be reincarnated, I kind of want to come back as a zoo animal. Though, oh, I want to be a zoo All animal. my health insurance, rent is paid, food on tap. <laughs> it's like living in an all-inclusive resort forever. Yeah. And then when they, when you start getting kind of bored, they're like, here's a new thing to try. And you're like, oh, a new thing. <laughs> and then if you like that thing, you're like, we're going to give it to you more. And you're like, oh my God, more. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. I, I agree. So yeah. Ooh, okay. That's it. Yeah. That's our zoo news for the month. Actually, um, Abby, I got one more for you. Oh, sorry. I was scrolling on. It's okay. Um, my home zoo where I first got into the zoo world and volunteered at San Antonio Zoo. They just announced on their Instagram that one of their old copies is expecting. Oh, baby old copies are the best. They're so cute. So stupid looking. I love them so much. Well, that's a really great happy way to end. There you go. Um, All so right. now we're going to cut to future Emily, who is going to give us the beluga news. Beluga. Alrighty, friends, it is time for Beluga News, the best news. I am coming to you from the future. Uh, let's see. So I've got a couple of things here. Uh, the first one is probably my favorite. Um, I'm sure we have talked about this specific Beluga in the past, but he's perfect and I love him. Uh, his name is Tyanek. He was rescued um, close to six or seven years ago now um, up in Alaska's Cook Inlet. We talk a lot about the Cook Inlet Belugas. But he was rescued there uh, by um, Noah, and so they found him as a little baby orphan. They don't know where his mom went. He was all by himself, and he was so little that uh, Noah basically said, hey, this little guy cannot go back out into the wild. He does not know how to be a beluga, 
So uh, he spent some time at the Alaska Sea Life Center um, being rehabilitated and such. And then um, because he was deemed non-releasable, they chose his permanent home to be SeaWorld San Antonio. So that is where he lives. Um, And just this past month, he has now celebrated living there for five years. So he's doing great. What a perfect little angel. Um, If you Google Tyanek, you will see he's just the cutest little nugget. I mean, he's big now, but he's a cutie pie. So perfect angel. Now let's see. Um, We've also got, um, this was interesting to me. So there is currently a big push in Manitoba, Canada uh, to protect their beluga population. So in that area, um, it's up in the Arctic and they get polar bears, they get belugas, um, all kinds of seals and other marine animals. So there's a big push right now to create a new marine protected area in that um, area. So this is in the western Hudson Bay and specifically belugas there. Um, Their population is estimated to be around 60,000, so nice healthy population. And they want to protect this area because the belugas come to this shallow estuary area um, to have their babies. So based on the article that I was reading, it looks like this is pretty much going to happen um, they're, they were lobbying for it and now it seems like it's a done deal. Um, they just kind of have to define the boundaries and what the, like, I guess, rules of that specific marine protected area are going to be. Um, but it looks like everybody in the area is in favor of creating this marine protected area, uh, because they believe not only will it help these animals, but it will also benefit the local economy, um, by allowing ecotourism to thrive. So, um, this area, I think I've talked about it before. It's where like Churchill Canada is. There's a lot of like come see beluga whale tourism there. Um, And so this would just um, allow further protection for the animals that live there, which is awesome. So we love that. And then the last one that I found was just this little tiny little article, um, but it's put out by World Wildlife Fund. So a nice credible source. Um, Right now, World Wildlife Fund is funding a big, um, I guess maybe not big is the right word, but a push um, up in Canada in So there's a group of belugas. They do this migration, okay, out from the ocean into a place called Baffin Bay. Um, And along that route, there is, it's a big, like, vessel trafficky route. So right now, World Wildlife Fund is funding the efforts to kind of get baseline information on the beluga population that lives there, as well as the narwhal population. So they have only um, put out just a little article so far because it's still ongoing, Um, But they had a cute little video of some drone footage of some narwhals and they had dropped a hydrophone in the water so they could actually hear them and it was magical. So I encourage you all to go check that out. Uh, And that is all I have for Beluga News this week and I hope you enjoy. Thanks, future Emily. (laughs) That was so good. We loved it. Uh, This month, we've got no announcements as far as I know, but shout out to all of you for still listening to this podcast, even though we've got a new crazy schedule. Thanks for being so flexible and sticking with us. If you are not following us on social media, you should probably do that. We are at Conservation Queen Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We also have a Patreon, Conservation Queens Podcast, where if you donate $5 a month, you can be a beluga babe. And the money from your Patreon support is either going to go to upgrading our equipment for the podcast or to conservation efforts around the world. We are not keeping it for ourselves. It is going out to help animals or to help us be better podcasters than we currently are. (laughs) (laughs) And like, it's so funny that this was just a fun little 
passion project we did during the lockdown and now it's we've been in this it'll be what our second year come may no it's our third year oh my god are you serious wow so we're having an existential crisis it's great yeah um cool if you if you do have any questions or episode suggestions, please email us at conservationqueenspodcast at gmail.com. We would be happy to even discuss things that are kind of tough with you. It's okay. We are all people who are open to listening to different ideas and opinions. Um, but if you're just going to yell at us, please don't email us. I don't care. Please don't. I'm sensitive. <laughs> I'm very opposite things, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us this week and Now go out there and stay sustainable. Bye. Bye.